Hey, Star Wars fans, this is Ro from the ever-imperial, always sunny Scarif podcast. Recently, it's come to our attention that there's been a security leak here on Scarif Station. I call on all our Imperial agents to be vigilant and to scan the holonet for news and rebel rumblings. I call upon you to access the Jedi Temple Archives podcast for the latest in Star Wars news. Again, this is Ro from the Scarif Podcast, and that's the Scuttlebutt. Welcome to episode 21 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Howell. Uh, and we are recording this episode on Wednesday, August 7th, 2019. Tom, welcome back to the show. Always happy to be a part of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, Rob. It's almost like I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I think you've planted it in my mind somewhere. You know, a little Jedi mind trick going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. As long as you think you're happy, we're good. <laughs> Now, before we get started this week, I do want to take a quick moment to give a shout out to Tony at the Disney Discussions podcast. Tony joined our Patreon site as our first patron. So, Tony, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, we really appreciate you supporting the show, and we look forward to turning out some great content for you in the future. I also want to give a shout out to Trent and Jenny from the Disney DNA podcast. I actually did a show with them earlier this week, uh, which is going to be released on Thursday, August 8th. Uh, and that was regarding The Mandalorian, which is an upcoming series on Disney Plus streaming service. I'm sure you've heard us talk about that on this channel uh, or at least on this podcast before. So we're very excited about that uh, upcoming show and really looking forward to seeing what kind of content they put out. And finally, I just want to give a huge shout out to all of our uh, listeners and all of our followers out on social media. Uh, certainly, you guys are the reason that we turn this podcast out and uh, being able to interact with you guys and uh, get feedback on the shows and everything is really why we do this. So hopefully you're enjoying the show. Uh, if you would be so inclined, please uh, give us a review out on iTunes, ideally, uh, and a rating if you would, and tell a friend. So um, hopefully this podcast will grow and uh, just become more and more interactive with our listeners. Yeah, so for this week's show, I, uh, I apologize we're putting it out a little bit late this week, but uh, I am upgrading some of the sound system on my end to hopefully be able to integrate some new components into the show and uh, hopefully we're going to have that up and running fully next week but in the interim um, one of the things that I really have been looking forward to talking about and kind of waiting as we get a little bit closer to the rise of Skywalker uh, is the whole concept of of what is Ray's parentage uh, within the new sequel 
films. And I know there's been a, a number of different schools of thought on that, um, but I'm going to kind of lay out my case for why I feel and have felt really ever since Force Awakens uh, that she is uh, more closely tied to Luke Skywalker, uh, whether she's his daughter or there are some additional theories out there that we'll kind of get into uh, as the show goes on. And uh, hopefully uh, some of you that are out there listening are going to feel free to weigh in on either Twitter or via email with what you think her parentage may be uh, in your mind, whether she is in fact not related to the Skywalker bloodlines at all, or whether she is uh, tied either to Luke or Han and Leia. So uh, with that said, we're going to go ahead and dive right into this topic. And Tom, I know that we've talked about this a little bit kind of outside of the show, but where do you kind of come down on the on the spectrum of who do you think Ray's parents might be? I come from actually a, a, a totally separate direction than what you were just discussing there. I actually believe that she's a Kenobi, personally. Maybe that's just my ties to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe it's just my desire to see more Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, maybe in a flashback scene or possibly leading into a series on Disney Plus or something along those lines. But I just kind of feel like she's known within the family somewhat, but isn't exactly tied in. Some of the timeline I have questioned with whether she's a Solo or a Skywalker as well. So that's just kind of where I land. I'm just looking forward to seeing how it all plays out personally. Yeah, and in all fairness, I mean, there are theories out there that that cover the spectrum from she is the daughter of junk traders, as Kylo Ren kind of uh, claimed to her within the events of The Last Jedi. Um, there's people that feel like she may be related to Emperor Palpatine, uh, which is kind of the more popular theory that's out there right now. Uh, and as far as the whole theory uh, of her being in some way related to Obi-Wan Kenobi goes, that is not as far-fetched as it may sound to folks that are just fans of the films, uh, primarily because uh, within the story arc of the Clone Wars, it was revealed that uh, whether there was actually a physical relationship there or not, there was uh, definitely some feelings from Obi-Wan for Duchess Satine of the planet of Mandalore. So, uh, Tom, I, I suspect that probably plays into your theory a little bit. That does play a part in it, and whether, you know, I, I'm not saying that uh, Ray is, obviously she'd be a little young to be Kenobi's daughter, but whether it be granddaughter or great-granddaughter, whether he even knew the fact that she, she existed, um, I, I would imagine he'd have some sort of feelings that there were some sort of offspring for this. But, you know, I mean, we have so much of this time that we don't know what he was doing during that period in between Revenge of the Sith and uh, New Hope. Uh, I've One, I want to see those storylines played out like i said i'm possibly like a disney plus series or something along those lines but also we you know i we just want to need to expand on that and find out what kind of went on there i mean maybe he was just sitting there being the old hermit ben kenobi for all we know but i like to believe that there were some other things going on that every once in a while he was called into some sort of action not just sitting there watching over luke every single moment for 20 years yeah, uh, kind of along the same storylines is what happened with Captain America there in Avengers Endgame where he uh, went out and got some of that life Tony Stark was always telling him to get. Um, after the fall of the Jedi, certainly that is a possibility as far as Obi-Wan goes. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with it. And then again, I'm completely open to a wide array of possibilities for Ray. I, I, I think it's one of the more fascinating concepts of it, you know, and, and just throwing in that, that she was 
you know, her parents could have been nothing, uh, added an, an, a whole new wrinkle into this possibility. Uh, I don't tend to believe that personally. Uh, I think it's more Kylo trying to play. I mean, the, in the instant that it happened, he was just reaching for her to try and have her join him in this quest. And so he seemed to me like he was just reaching for anything he could grasp a hold of and, you know, putting her in this position where she felt alone again kind of seemed to be the best place to put her into to get her to come along with him. So that's why I tend not to believe it. But it is a possibility. And it, again, adds another wrinkle to what Ray's lineage could be. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. I mean, I guess probably a good place to start would be why we may think that uh, the whole concept that she's not from just some random bloodline, uh, that she is probably more closely tied to a bloodline that we have seen within the course of the films or uh, within the animated series and and maybe even some of the books uh, that comes from more of an established bloodline that has that, uh, you know, kind of high level of of mastery of the force. Um, For me personally, I mean, when, when Kylo Ren told her, you know, you know who you are, you're the daughter of filthy junk traders, you're no one, to me, that just reeks of exactly the same type of approach that Palpatine took when he was turning Anakin uh, to kind of isolate him and and remove his uh, his supports and kind of make him feel like he was adrift and that Palpatine was the person that he was going to attach himself to. Um, it just seemed very much like that. And we certainly know that um, whether, you know, I don't think we consider Kylo Ren a Sith per se, but certainly anyone associated with the dark side of the Force is not above using lies and deception and manipulation to uh, achieve their ends. Yeah, and like I said, at that moment, he was grasping for anything he could get a hold of. He already knew he had some sort of connection to her. We've seen that to this point, whether it was uh, set up by Snoke or not. Uh, He did have some sort of connection with her. And, and, you know, so he knew that this this would be a desperate longing for her, that she's longing to belong in some way, shape, or form. And so throwing out there that there is nobody out there that you don't have anybody to come back to was the easiest way to reach out and try and get her on his side. I completely agree. I mean, I actually had weighed in, uh, sent a clip over to the Scarif podcast, uh, who did our station ID kind of there at the beginning of our broadcast. And uh, if you enjoy Star Wars conversation, definitely go check them out. But, uh, you know, their topic that they were uh, dealing with this week is, you know, are we all force sensitive? And that is kind of driven by the fact that that seems to be the direction that Disney has been kind of taking things that anyone can be a Jedi. Um, And I guess my approach on that whole topic is I I look at it just like anything else. I mean, uh, you know, you may have the the skills, uh, the physical abilities to go out and play baseball, but do you have the the depth of skill to be able to play at a major league level and that's that's kind of how I look at the force spectrum I mean you have uh, in Rogue One you've got Jared Mway who I certainly wouldn't call him a Jedi but he had enough force sensitivity where he was able to kind of let it guide his actions and um, you know there's other people who may just get little bits and pieces and other people that don't sense anything at all but I think that in order to become a Jedi or a Sith or really align yourself with any of these you know major groups of force users you have to have a high enough degree of of skill and inherent ability uh, to be able to kind of master that and and use it to its full advantage. Um, I don't know really where you come down on that argument, Tom, or if you've given it much thought. Well, I, for one, I don't think that uh, Disney's version of Lucasfilm is actually looking at anybody could be a Jedi. I think that they're saying is that 
a Jedi can come from anywhere. Uh, not necessarily that, you know, you could be born and you are a Jedi. You have some sort of mastery of the force, no matter where you're from. No, I think you have to have be, you know, especially in some sort of touch with the force more than others. I think everybody has an acclimation to certain things that they're better at than others. And that's just going to be the case. You know, one play person can get as much training on playing guitar as another, but if you have the natural instinct in you, you're going to be able to play that guitar much better. And I believe that's the same way as a force wielder, a force user, is that you are going to have to have some natural ability within that. Can Will everybody have a touch of that? I actually do believe that. I, I, I believe that everybody has an energy, and I do believe that the, everybody is a part of the force. That way everybody has some sort of peace, a touch of the force. That doesn't mean you can become a, a, a an excellent force user, a Jedi, a Sith, whatever the case may be. But uh, I do believe that you can look anywhere. They don't necessarily have to come from these bloodlines. Uh, they can be born anywhere within the galaxy and can become an excellent user wielder of the force. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I mean, certainly we know that the Jedi Order was not just limited to a specific subset of bloodlines. And, um, you know, certainly within the original Star Wars film, when Obi-Wan is describing the Force, you know, he talks about the fact that it it uh, penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. And so uh, certainly the Force exists in every living thing now, again, as you said. I mean, uh, and I, I do agree that um, inherent ability certainly plays a part in it. Um, uh, I know that there are certain people who are going to have certain physical limitations that will keep them from doing certain things. For instance, I'm 6'4", and a uh, pretty big guy. I'm certainly not going to, you're not going to see me crossing the finish line in first place at the Kentucky Derby as a, as a jockey. Um, Don't sell yourself simply... short there. I think you, you <laughs> get a little was... training, a little more oats in your diet, you'd be good to go. Right, right. I, I may be able to do it as the horse, just not the jockey. So agreed that there's going to have to be some minimal amount of force sensitivity that, that then can be developed into becoming a force user. So uh, I do believe in this particular case, for me, the, the reasoning that I apply to assuming that Ray has some connection specifically with Luke Skywalker in this particular case, um, the first uh, evidence that I had of that was prior to The Force Awakens, one of the very early teaser trailers went as far follows. In that trailer, basically what you hear is uh, Luke doing a voiceover and talking about the Force is strong in his family. Uh, his father had it. He has it. His sister has it. And then he finishes with, and you have that power too. And 
to me, I mean, that seems to align Ray specifically, you know, assuming that that is who we're talking about, assuming that we're talking about Ray in that trailer, that uh, that would align her specifically with the Skywalker bloodline, which would make sense for me in this particular sequel trilogy, since it really is about wrapping up that story. Um whether he could have been uh, referring to to Ben Solo is certainly a, a question that's open to interpretation. So I wouldn't go just on that alone. But uh, Tom, I, I don't know. I don't know if you consider a trailer for uh, the beginning of a sequel to be anything that you want to base an argument on or not. Um, I think it's definitely worth discussion. Uh, I don't necessarily buy into it completely because one, we don't know uh, who it's being said to. Uh, you know, that could be to there, there could be a ton of different people that that could be seeming characters that we have never, uh, seen before, uh, witnessed to this point. It could be a, a flashback to something it, it, we don't know. And it could be, you know, a lot of that was, uh, stuff that came out of return of the Jedi as well. You know, some of the dialogue there is straight out of return of the Jedi. So we don't know exactly where that is tied in or if it's, if it's just being used to question this. And, and so I, I, while I see where you're coming from and I don't disagree with you completely, Rob, I tend to take a teaser trailer and some of the dialogue within it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, and I actually, I don't have any issue with that. I think that it's probably a wise approach to take for uh, especially trailer content when we know that there were other trailers for The Force Awakens that contained footage that never actually showed up in the film, uh, which is pretty common. And uh, I certainly I certainly wouldn't use that as as the only basis for an argument. All right, so the the next uh, indication for me within The Force Awakens specifically that there was a link between Rey and the Skywalker bloodline was uh, at the at the stage where they're on uh, Takadana and they're in Maz Kanata's castle, and uh, she ends up down in the basement and uncovers the the box in the storeroom that contains the Skywalker lightsaber, uh, which is actually calling to her. And when she touches it, uh, she ends up having that fairly complex force vision. Uh, and she sees a number of, of various scenes within that. Uh, and then immediately after that, uh, we have the scene with Ray and Maz Kanata, who is basically telling her, you know, the light, Ray asks her, what, what was that? And and uh, she tells her, you know, that lightsaber it was uh, Luke's and his father before him, and now it's calling to you. What was that? I shouldn't have gone in there. That lightsaber was Luke's and his father's before him, and now it calls to you. I have to get back to Jakku. Han told me. Dear child, I see your eyes. You already know the truth. Whomever you're waiting for on Jakku, they're never coming back. But there's someone who still could. The belonging you seek is not behind you, it is ahead. I am no Jedi, but I know the Force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. It's always been there. It will guide you. 
The saber. Take it. I'm never touching that thing again. I don't want any part of this. So the fact that the Skywalker lightsaber uh, is actually calling out to Rey uh, within the Force certainly uh, raises some suspicion in my mind that that she must be pretty tightly tied to that particular family, that particular bloodline, uh, given the history that it has and, and given the fact that it seems so specifically uh, linked to her within that film. Yeah, that's the one uh, kind of... I don't know bump that kind of draws me to that possibility is the fact that it, it is a family lightsaber and it is you know, calling out to her, um, at least from what Maz is saying. We don't know what Maz if Maz is saying the complete truth either. We just know that uh, you know that she obviously was sensitive to it when she touched it. We know Maz feels like there's something important about her, and so it would make sense in that regard. Um, but you know that would also it also could be. You know, that lightsaber was in the possession of Obi-Wan Kenobi for many, many years. Who knows? Maybe there a little of that rubbed off on it as well. <laughs> I love how you tie it right back to your theory. Yeah, so. I know. I, I just grasp at straws everywhere I, would, I can. I would, <laughs> I would expect no less. Yeah. And, and you know, certainly the other... The other possibility there is you've got a lightsaber that has been very, uh, you know, tightly tied to the light side of the force for pretty much its entire existence, um, minus a few dark deeds. Anakin participated in kind of uh, right after he had become Darth Vader, uh, the slaughter of the younglings among them. So, uh, but other than that, I mean, all of all of the deeds that he did as a Jedi uh, in service to the light, Luke, uh you know, wielding that lightsaber in service to the light. And we even see uh, later in the film, and, and I'll, you know, we'll get into it in more detail later, but when it comes down to the contest between Kylo and Rey to see who was going to be able to summon it out of the snow, uh, it ended up going to Rey as opposed to Kylo. And uh, certainly I think part of that is is the fact that those kyber crystals have been established as, as kind of being drawn to the light uh, within canon. I've also heard, and, and you know, this is, I, and I can't actually reference this where I read it or where I heard it, is that part of the reason why Ray was able to summon that lightsaber, why it went to her, is that Kylo was uh, injured at that point. He was worn out. You know, if you remember, he took the blaster bolt from uh, from Chewbacca not long after killing uh, Han Solo. Uh, so he wasn't at his full strength at that point. So Ray was just a, a little bit stronger at that moment. It doesn't really completely makes sense because he should be stronger in the force but as we saw in the 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 ensuing uh lightsaber duel um she's pretty she can handle herself pretty well whether she received some training at some point we don't know hopefully we, we find out some of that in a possible flashback in the future or if she just kind of has that naturally within her but uh, i did hear somebody and i i apologize because i can't recall who said it but someone associated with the film that said part of that was that Kylo Ren was injured and not at full strength at that point. Yeah, I think that's a completely valid argument to make in terms of why he may not have been at his full potential. And the other thing that 
that I think of when I think about that scene is the fact that, uh, you know, he had just killed his father and you could see that there was some conflict within him leading up to that event. And right after he kills him, you can kind of see a look of shock on his face that he had done it. Uh, so the question of whether he's in some kind of psychic distress at that point as well, uh, that's impacting his force abilities, uh, certainly may weigh in on top of that injury itself. Plus I tend to believe that Kylo slash Ben Solo is constantly at odds with himself. I think that showed up in a, quite a bit in The Force Awakens. It showed up quite a bit in The Last Jedi that he is already kind of fluctuating between the dark side and the light as it is. So he could have been in, term, as you said, uh, Rob, turmoil there uh, completely as well. Yeah, I agree. And in regards to Ray and, and her force abilities and whether she had some training, I do have a separate theory that I, I do believe that at some point she was part of Luke's Jedi Academy. Uh, the flashback that she has showing the Knights of Ren uh, slaughtering and, and the burning uh, building in the background, there is a theory out there right now that that may be a flash forward instead of a flashback. But for me, it just seemed so similar to what we saw in The Last Jedi with uh, um, you know, Luke's academy being burnt to the ground and uh, the fact that she had such a specific vision from that particular standpoint. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out in in The Rise of Skywalker if, in fact, they do address that. I also think it's it's telling to me and, and maybe it's just completely just reading too much into a scene but the fact in uh, the force awakens when you know they're explaining that uh bb-8 got away with this girl and kylo says what girl or you know right you know he kind of it seemed to me like he had an idea that there is somebody out there similar to this that he may know in some way shape or form it just it didn't seem like it was just a random statement that he made like he had an idea that this girl might be out there somewhere within the universe yeah i i do agree with that and it would be interesting if um if Kylo was in fact the one because you see him kill uh, the warrior that's about to strike down whoever Ray's viewpoint is from uh, and if it were to in fact pan out where Kylo had saved her from one of the ravaging Knights of Ren and you know taken her and been responsible for her putting her on Jakku unbeknownst to Luke uh, you know he may not know that he had a surviving student whether she's an, in fact you know uh, associated with his family or not uh, still alive somewhere in the galaxy and uh, it might it might also explain why Kylo had such a visceral reaction to that. You know, she was accompanied by a girl because I, I did notice that in the film as well. So, um, again, there's, uh, that's the exciting thing about the, leading up to a star Wars film, all the speculation, all the different theories, uh, and the things that you can talk about. And then you actually get to go see the film and, and see how it all plays out, which we could probably do a whole nother episode on how that sometimes plays into people's feelings of disappointment or elation when they do see the Star Wars films, depending on how close it comes to, uh, you know, what they may have supposed was going to happen. Exactly. And I think that's that's a big part of it. it is that the part of the what the divisiveness within the Star Wars community right now is that so many people have so much time and there's so many, many ways to speculate on what could happen. I mean, if you think back to the original trilogy back in the 70s, there was no Internet up until maybe around the end. It was starting to emerge slightly but there really was not much place to discuss your theories you went to your you know it was our age you went to your schoolyard and you talked with your buddies about what you thought might happen or whatever there really wasn't this big 
community where, you know, everything is out there in a split second. If you have a concept, you're going to put it out there and everybody is going to weigh in on one side or the other. And, you know, and eventually you start reading all these things and you feel one way or another and you get to the film. And if you're so sold on that, this is going to happen and it doesn't, well, there can be some disappointment there. You know, it's the bottom line is it's for the storytellers to tell their story and you for to, you know, like it or not like it, that's completely up to you. But the, the visceral reaction we get to it sometimes um, is... It really drives me a little crazy in many regards because I, I just feel that, like I said, I, I feel like the storytellers can tell their story. People don't have to like everything. People don't have to hate everything. And, and you shouldn't, if someone doesn't like something, you don't need to get on them when you convince them why they should like it. If someone does like something, you don't need to get on there and convince them why they shouldn't like it. Just take it for what it is. Be respectful to everybody. If you want to discuss it, you know, that's fine, but there's no reason for so much hate to be out there. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen anyone get very visceral <laughs> no. about their uh, their theories and pushing them on other No, people. that doesn't exist anywhere out there on the internet or in real life or you know, whatever the case may be. No, and it isn't. It's a it's a very interesting point because you think back to the original trilogy and I mean, I was, I was four and a half when Star Wars came out, but, um, you know, and a, and a little bit young to be kind of theory crafting about anything, but that didn't really exist so much back then. I mean, Star Wars came out, it was a, a movie in and of itself that kind of had resolved itself by the end of the film, which Lucas had to do because he wasn't sure if he was even going to be able to make a sequel to it. Um, and at that time there were very few films that had sequels in the first place and certainly not successful sequels. So when you get to Empire Strikes Back and the fact that that is left very open-ended with a lot of unresolved issues and you've got this huge reveal about Darth Vader and his relationship to Luke that was completely unusual for that particular point in time but it's very much what happens in this day and age and uh, as a result you know the society has has adapted it is about trying to predict what's going to happen and uh, I just don't remember that so much being the case when the original trilogy had come out. Right. I, I mean, it wasn't during Empire Strikes Back. I mean, but it wasn't the way it is now because, it, again, it was, you know, you getting together with your buddies and discussing what you think, you know, uh, is Darth Vader really Luke's father? Who is this other one that they speak? Of? There's another. Who is that that they're speaking of? You know, lots of things. You know, how are they going to rescue Han from the carbonite freezing? Lots of things that were speculative as, as you moved forward in that. But again, it was limited to you know your buddies or you know hanging out wherever you were and, and uh, having a discussion of it. It wasn't this global thing, and there also weren't people out there who were trying to, you know, by making these theories come up, you know, draw people into. The their YouTube channel or into their blog or whatever their, you know, whatever page, their social media, whatever the case may be. Sometimes I find I, these things are so, put out there so wildly and so extremely is mostly because they want to draw people in to subscribe to them, to listen to them, to get views, to get whatever the case may be. And it, rather than just, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel it's better just to sit back and enjoy the ride. No, and, and I completely agree. I mean, there's so a uh, clickbait being, you know, such a big thing in this day and age um that i completely agree that people put a lot of very uh extreme and divisive theories out there just for the purpose of drawing uh you know views or listens or whatever the case may be and i know that we've talked about this 
prior to me even starting up this podcast was that it's much more of a challenge to to take on anything that that is approached in a positive manner just because conflict tends to draw so much attention. Yeah, agreed. And that's the, you know, part of the thing with with my podcast is where we try and stay on the positive side of things and does that help us with with downloads, with uh listens, with followers, whatever? Probably not. If we wanted to put out more conflict out there and we do have some opinions on stuff that may not necessarily be as positive as possible, but we find there's enough negativity out in the world that we don't need to add to it. We want to be positive, and that's just the way we like to do things. And, and so I I, I'm willing to uh, give up on some possible extra downloads or follows or clicks or whatever the case may be because I want to add positivity to the world, not add more negativity, which we have so much of now. Right. And I think that, you know, the great thing about, uh, you know, about all these shows, I know that you guys do it on your podcast. I try to do it here. Uh, I try to, you know, on social media, I try to surround myself with other people that are like minded not with my viewpoints or my thoughts, but the fact that you can have a civil, uh, you know, civil discussion or civil discourse on topics you cannot agree with each other without it becoming, uh, you know, something that that leads to a lot of anger or frustration or, or the hate that you're talking about uh, that we see so much online. So um, again, I mean. This is all this is all science fiction. This is all theory, and uh, none of us are right or wrong. It's just going to be a matter of what you know turns out to be the case when we actually see these films uh, on the screen, and what direction the writers and uh, directors have chosen to go with them. So, um, we're just trying to do the best best we can based on the information we've been given. I agree, and there's nothing wrong with speculation. I mean, I think that that's part of the fun of leading up to the movie is speculating about it. But it, you know, as long as you do it in a responsible, respectful way you know that's that's good I, I i think it's it's healthy and as long as you don't feel like when, when you get to the film and it doesn't go exactly how you expected it to that you're, you know you're gonna lash out because of that um you know that you know i i feel that's fine i think that again you can like or dislike things i have no problem with somebody it's something that i love somebody else not really liking i may say why don't you don't like it okay you know but i have no problem with it not everybody has to like the same stuff it's you know they it, we are all different people we all live our lives differently we all have different backgrounds and not what what necessarily i enjoy is going to be necessarily what you enjoy for everything right i think we tend to be like-minded on a lot of things but that doesn't mean we're totally Totally in step with every single thing we do. And I think that's the way of the world. Yeah. And the world would be a very boring place if we were all exactly the same. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think we'll leave that topic. Even, uh, even right the clones weren't no. all the nope. same, you know, for that matter, you know, the clones, had even, even what, oh, even clones, the clones yeah. had personalities. They were, you know, basic based on the same person, but they all had different personalities, which, uh, you know, I think was part of what Star Wars is trying to say with them is that, hey, you know, even they have differences. Enjoy, embrace the differences. Yeah, just don't kill all the Jedi. Yes. Just get rid of that Order 66 implant. Right. Uh, although, if you do read the Star Wars comics, there's a, a neat little twist on that. So, um, without without going into detail on that, so uh, getting back to the conversation about Rey and, and her uh, link to whether she's part of any of the particular bloodlines that we're familiar with in Star Wars, the next piece of evidence, uh, or the next piece of The Force Awakens specifically, that I kind of take as evidence that she is uh, linked more closely to Luke Skywalker would be the scene where Kylo uh, Ren is interrogating her after having captured her on Takadana. And uh, that scene goes like this. Tell me about the droid. 
He's a BB unit with a selenium drive and a thermal hyperscan vindicator. He's carrying a section of a navigational chart. And we have the rest recovered from the archives of the Empire, but we need the last piece. And somehow you convinced the droid to show it to you. You. The scavenger. You know I can take whatever I want. I'm so lonely. So afraid to leave. At night, desperate to sleep. You imagine an ocean. I see it. I see the island. So as he is delving into Ray's mind and kind of trying to pull out the information on the map that she has seen uh, with the location or the or the path to Luke Skywalker, uh, one of the things that he gets into fairly early on in that interrogation is the fact that, you know, he can see in her mind, you know, at night when she's struggling to sleep, uh, that uh, she sees an island and uh, you know, basically surrounded by water. And that is, of course, at the end of the film, we find out that is uh, the planet uh, of Octo where Luke is uh, basically in hiding at the, at the last Jedi temple or the first Jedi temple. Um, and so that to me indicates that Ray has either seen that planet in person or that she has seen it through a vision uh, given to her by the force, uh, in the form of a dream. So in one case, I mean, if it's actual, actually that she was physically there, then that indicates that she had traveled there with Luke when he found that particular planet. I don't necessarily think that that is the case, but what I do think is there is some sort of a very strong uh, force bond between her and Luke Skywalker, which again would tie back into the the lightsaber being drawn to her. Um, and it's really the only explanation that I that I can come up with for why she would be having that vision prior to ever having been to that planet. Uh, always emotion the future is, Rob. Uh, you know, just remember, uh, Luke saw a city in the clouds, although he had never been there. So maybe this is a future vision that she's seeing that she is going to go there at some point or could. As we know, the future is always in motion. So um, I, I don't completely disagree with you in that regards, but I can see where that could be an out. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's an excellent point. So uh, moving on from there, the other examples or the other instances that that uh, within The Force Awakens specifically uh, that made me feel like uh, Ray was very tightly tied to Luke Skywalker was, of course, the scene that we talked about earlier uh, after the death of Han Solo when Kylo Ren tracks down her and Finn in the woods and uh, engages in battle with, with Finn. And when Ray uh, kind of comes to her senses after having been tossed into the tree, um, and is battling Kylo to summon the lightsaber to her. It, it does fly to her over him. And we've had that conversation about whether he was injured or uh, in some way, you know, and not at his full potential. Um, but it is very interesting that again, she's had no training that we know of at this point uh, within the film uh, or within any of the storyline in, in using the force. And she is able to not only summon the lightsaber to her, but uh, then basically take the fight to him um 
when when they do engage in a lightsaber battle. Yeah, I, I I just tend to believe that somehow that she had received some sort of early training when she was very, very young before she was left on Jakku. Uh, I just really tend to believe that has to be the case. I, I mean, I... I I, I, we might find completely different, but to me, it just seems like the likelihood of it all that it's somehow ingrained in her. She's been, what if, for whatever reason, she's been wiped and, and can't recall every aspect of it. But there's she did experience this at some point in her very young life. It, I'm just waiting to find out that there's a Men in Black crossover and they use <laughs> yes, the flashy thing on exactly. her. Exactly. Yep. It's the sound it makes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never paid attention to that. I'm going to have to pay attention when we watch yes. that the next time. It was a very accurate accurate representation of it, for sure. I, I don't even know why they bother to use sound effects. They just use that from here on out whenever they make another one of those films. <laughs> if they make another one of those. Yeah, I mean, uh, beyond The Force Awakens, I mean, going into The Last Jedi a little bit, um, there's not as much evidence within The Last Jedi that I think links uh, Ray and Luke. Uh, he's certainly, at the end of The Force Awakens, when you see him as she holds out the lightsaber, there were a lot of emotions playing across his face that I, I certainly read a lot into. And, uh, you know, the way that that played out within The Last Jedi went a completely different direction than I thought it was going to go. Uh, but I will say that when, when she was inside the tree, uh, looking at the, you know, the original or the ancient Jedi texts that, uh, when Luke came in and was kind of questioning her, he did seem very intrigued about her and where she was from and who she was. Um, and again, it was not specific enough to, to, to really be able to hang anything on. Um, but it definitely, I was I was reading more into it I think than than was really there but I I definitely thought that he was kind of trying to determine who she was and and what might have drawn her to him right uh, the, entirely possible there's a lot into that um, you know it's possible that if you know obviously if if she was an actual Skywalker, blood relative, you would think that Luke would have worked with her probably pretty closely. Now, there is a possibility that, you know, she may have been from another aspect of uh, another force wielding family or she may have just come across these abilities on her own and you we don't know much about this jedi training academy essentially that luke was forming uh you got to assume maybe he was you know training them all but it also could have been a possibility where he was kind of you know the main professor and that there were other people who were doing some training and maybe he didn't know about her completely but knew a little of her and that's why he was trying to I, I you got to believe to me personally that if he knew her as a skywalker that he would know who this is right off the bat it would, it would have sensed it completely immediately and but you know again we'll, we'll wait and see yeah, the other the other thing that kind of plays into the whole uh, backstory of Ray and it kind of ties in with what what happened with Kylo Ren that if she if she is tied directly to the Skywalkers whether she's Luke's daughter or whether uh, you know what I don't know I mean we don't really explore a lot of what happened to Luke Skywalker after the Battle of Endor kind of leading up to the point where we see him within the Force Awakens and um, you know certainly within the expanded universe he did have relationships with various people uh, after Return of the Jedi none of that is considered canon anymore um but if he had 
a relationship um, and actually had a child from that relationship at some point after the events of Return of the Jedi and prior to The Force Awakens. He may or may not even know that he has a daughter out there. Um, the other thing that I had considered was that the Jedi had always taken the the children, the Force-sensitive children, from their families at a very early age to kind of remove the, the temptation to be drawn to the dark side that that attachment created. And after seeing what happened with Ben Solo, having grown up, knowing that Darth Vader was his grandfather and that being kind of leveraged to, to draw him to the dark side, um, even if he knew that he had a daughter, he may have chosen to... Um, you know, place her someplace else uh, so she would not grow up knowing the legacy of the Force within her family and maybe not uh, having that attachment that could be leveraged to turn her. Interesting. I mean, there's also one thing. I, I read the novelization of The Force Awakens, and at some point in it, and I'm, it's been a long time, so please forgive me, but there was, um, Ungar Plut was, you know, he, it was told that he was left to watch over her in kind of a way. Now, he's kind of a, you know, a scoundrel type of guy. He's only going to do his own thing, right. but he was kind of, whoever left her there um, didn't sell her off. At least that's what it said in the novelization. He was, she was left there with him to kind of keep an eye on her um during that time you know obviously he still was you know not the greatest guy in the world you know only giving her you know one quarter portion you know all the right. time but that was alluded to within the novelization so it seems to me that there was some sort of tie-in in that regard as well Yep. And, uh, you know, again, that that may be an indication that whoever did leave her there was was certainly concerned about her well-being um, and didn't just want her kind of fending for herself. But whether, you know, that was done to protect her from from her lineage or whether, you know, there is a, a more straightforward story that kind of ties in with what Kylo uh, had told her within The Last Jedi remains to be seen. Um, certainly within what we've seen so far, and I am very much looking forward to seeing what comes out for Rise of Skywalker at D23. I think we're all thinking there's going to be a trailer, hopefully, um, or at least some additional information released. But, you know, the the audio clip within that trailer that has been released, the teaser trailer where Luke is talking about, you know, a thousand generations live within you now, etc. Again, we're assuming that is him talking to Ray. It could be, uh, could be something completely different. It could not even show up in the film, but... Um, I'll be very interested to see how they resolve the the issue of her lineage. There is also a very interesting theory out there um, that ties into, again, something that was part of uh, the expanded universe of Star Wars and, and is now considered legends. But um, within one of those story arcs, specifically the one where Grand Admiral Thrawn was introduced, uh, there was a clone made of Luke Skywalker from his severed hand that had been retrieved by the Emperor from the bowels of Bespin. And uh, that clone was basically uh, a character that, that ended up fighting Luke later on in that series. And there's a theory out there that Ray could have potentially been cloned from Luke's missing hand. I, I don't know that there's a lot of uh, evidence that that may be the case, given that, you know, Maz is the one that ended up with the lightsaber. So uh, I'm not sure how the emperor would have gotten the hand and, and not Luke's lightsaber, but um, 
it'd be another way that she could have a connection with Luke that he would not be aware of. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I that seems pretty wild and pretty convoluted to try and fit into you know this film as whatever the actual running time would be. But uh, you know, another theory and definitely something that was that came out of the expanded universe and the out of the legends. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised that you haven't brought up the other theory that's kind of floating around out there. You know, that's she's a solo that uh, Han has run off. You know, I'm part of the issues that he's had with Leia and so maybe some of the disagreements that they've had at some point it has led him to go astray and have uh, maybe cheated on her and uh, you know that that she is whether she is the daughter of or granddaughter of or whatever but related to uh, the solos in some way shape or form. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, if it in fact turns out that she is related to the solo side uh, of the family as opposed to the Skywalker side, I would think that she would have to be Leia's daughter um, if bloodlines really do play a part in Force sensitivity. What about um, Kira? she she has obviously been drawn into Darth Maul obviously knows that she has some sort of force ability he has interest in her from last we saw and again this is spoilers for Solo sorry uh, that he has some sort of interest in her uh, that she has shown some abilities does she have some force sensitivity there what if Kira were to suddenly have appeared back in Han Solo's life at a later age I mean obviously she may be a little old to give birth but we don't know exactly in the star wars universe when the ages and and for sure exactly i mean she's Corellian. we don't know a lot more about it than that uh so well does that play a part in it i'm not saying that i believe in that i i I think that'd be um you know especially with without han being alive to really defend himself i think that'd be awfully tough to play out on screen and have people be happy about it but i think it's another something that you could speculate on yeah, and I mean, I could certainly see a scenario where she is the daughter of Han and Leia, and after uh, Ben Solo was turned, you know, Leia may have to protect her. Um, and for the same reasons I gave before, you know, again, it was clear that Ben Solo, knowing his heritage, um, was part of what got leveraged to turn him to the dark side. She and Han may have decided to hide their daughter, uh, have her grow up not really knowing their parents, uh, but with someone who could keep an eye on her. That might also explain how Ankar Plutt had gotten the Millennium Falcon. Um, if in fact, you know, Han Solo was the one that took her there to, to hide her. But, um, and the other thing about the the brother and sister relationship that she would then have with Kylo Ren, uh, there would have been precedent for that as well within the expanded universe. Uh, Han and Leia did end up having three children. Um, one of them died. Well, I won't say early. I mean, he was he was still in his late teens. Uh, but the brother and sister who were twins, uh, the the brother ended up turning to the dark side and uh, his sister ended up having to deal with him at a later point in the story. So there would be some precedent for that. We do know that uh, Lucasfilm is um, not opposed to kind of taking these items that have that have become legends and kind of reincarnating them in another form within canon uh so certainly a possibility that that could be the case yeah i just i was just surprised you didn't bring that up because i think that's a fairly interesting rumor that's come out within the last few months and uh you know again i don't necessarily buy into it again i want to believe she's a kenobi that's just what i'm going to believe and i'm going (laughs) to until they tell me differently that's what i'm going to believe 
Well, we all want Obi-Wan to live on in some way within the Star Wars universe. And until they uh, finally break down and give us a series, I would love for it to be, even if it's something that they put on uh, Disney Plus as one of the live action uh, series, I think that, you know, Ewan McGregor could certainly still come back and fill that role. And um, it would be a very interesting series to watch, unless it is, in fact, just Obi-Wan sitting there watching Luke. Uh, Whittling away. The, the salt <laughs> yes. Every once in a while learning, you know, how to, you know, scare away the sand people or whatever. Yes. Make, yeah, crate dragon stew. Right. Or... Exactly. Yes. That, you know, exciting stuff like that. Uh, you know, and learning the exciting way of moisture farming. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a thrill a minute out there. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, and, and, and like you said, I mean, and I've mentioned it early in the show, uh, Palpatine, uh, there is some, some speculation that Palpatine could actually be the one uh, that is responsible for Ray. Within canon now, Palpatine is the one credited for essentially creating Anakin Skywalker. That's why he had no father. Uh, he basically uh, manipulated the midichlorians. I'm sorry, I had to bring up midichlorians, but, uh, you know, manipulated them into creating life within Shmi Skywalker. And that is why he was so strong in the force to the point where he was even more powerful, uh, had a higher midichlorian count than Master Yoda. Um, so, you know, if you look at Rey and, and her power and how that uh, has kind of manifested in her, did did Palpatine have something to do with Ray? Um, I don't want to believe that's the case, but uh, I know that's a theory that's out there and uh, unsurprising given that uh, Palpatine is in some way, shape or form going to be, uh, you know, taking a part in the events of the rise of Skywalker. It wouldn't surprise me if that she was some way associated with Palpatine. It wouldn't surprise me completely anyway, uh, but I would really be surprised especially since when since disney's taken over lucasfilm that they've kind of backed away as far as they can from the midichlorian thing that that would suddenly arise at this point you know so uh, i i tend to not believe in the midichlorian possibility but it wouldn't shock me completely if uh that some way she was tied to palpatine yeah, and again, it's another one. The, as much as I dislike the whole midi-chlorian uh, thing that was created within the prequels, I mean, it is interesting. There were there were uh, examples within the expanded universe when Luke was kind of going out and uh, forming his new Jedi Academy. Um, there was a test that he was able to do on people who he suspected as being strong in the Force that would, you know, uh, verify that that they did have Force abilities, um, latent Force abilities that would allow them to, you know, train and become a Jedi. Um, so fortunately it wasn't, it wasn't spelled out like the midichlorians were within the prequels, but, um, you know, there has to be some way for the seekers within canon to have, have been able to determine who these force sensitive children were. Um, I would just always assumed it would have been, it would have made more sense for that to kind of resonate in the force as opposed to it being a blood test of some sort. Well, even when they brought Anakin, young Anakin, before the Jedi Council, they ran a little test with him. If you remember the holograms and what could he see? Oh, yeah. I mean, that makes more sense than, you know, trying to test from, well, again, I, I, I'm judging something that, you know, is fine, whatever. The storytellers tell their story. But I'm just not a big fan of the midichlorians. I want it to be more of a, um, I don't know, just a, a spiritual thing than, than it's just something that's in your blood. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see uh, when I release this episode if the mention of midichlorians is enough to uh, cut my listenership in half. So. <laughs> we could bleep that out at any Not, point. You know? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. this, these are the kind of words we we beep out on this podcast. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean that's that's basically the the majority of the proof that I have or the the evidence that I have within the Star Wars films that that I think that Ray has a very close connection to Luke specifically. Uh, again, we're going to find out come December uh, if in fact they're telling the truth that um, that the issue of Ray's parentage is going to be resolved within the Rise of Skywalker. But uh, really, I mean, I don't. I'm not emotionally attached to any of these uh, theories that we've talked about. I think it's just going to be interesting to see how they wrap up this story, uh, and I'm very interested to see what Star Wars is going to turn into when we get away from. From the you know the Skywalker saga portion of it, what stories they've got left to tell? I think you know with things like the Mandalorian coming out uh, in November, uh, that's going to be very exciting. Cassie and Andor and um, K2SO uh, having a live series on Disney is another kind of avenue that hasn't been explored that much that I'm excited for. And uh, we certainly anyone who listens to this show regularly knows how we feel about the animated series. So yeah, and we're really um, looking forward to. We are I think as of we're recording this 16 days away 15 16 days away from uh d23 expo 2019 uh the disney plus panel is on friday which by the way just moments ago i just received a tweet a little bit ago the friday tickets have sold out so there's only sunday still available if you're looking to possibly go uh but disney plus to find out more about the mandalorian find out hopefully some more about the cassian andor series maybe a little bit more of uh clone war season seven and then of course the live action panel which will be on the saturday morning and i'm sure we're going to get a lot about the rise of skywalker i really believe we're gonna at least see some new footage if not see some sort of get a new trailer and maybe a little bit of both possibly i'm not sure if they're far enough along yet but possibly might get some sort of reference into what the next group of films we may eventually see you know maybe just kind of get a vague idea of what kind of direction they're going in i'm not sure if we will i think a lot of it is going to be focus because I really believe I, I really believe and we're going to talk a little bit about this on our podcast this weekend um, a lot of what how they're going to close out I think that live action uh, excuse me it's actually the whole Walt Disney Studios panel is going to be uh, finishing out with a big bang with the rise of Skywalker yeah and again uh, it's kind of uh, I'm kind of of two minds about it I'm excited to see what this film holds but it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting not having any more Skywalker saga films on the horizon so um I'm I'm looking forward to it in any case. I'm looking very much forward to hearing what comes out of D23 so that we can kind of uh, understand a little bit more about what's on the horizon for us as Star Wars fans. I do want to point out, I mean, there's not a, a ton of other news. I think a lot of the Star Wars content uh, is being held for D23, but for anyone who is a Walt Disney World fan, I do want to put out there that uh, today they did start releasing uh, reservations for Savi's lightsabers and Oga's Cantina uh, within that land at Walt Disney World. So if you have a trip planned uh, here in the next upcoming month or two and uh, are interested in, in enjoying some of what Star Wars Galaxy's Edge has to offer and from everything I've heard, it's just as incredible as the location out in Disneyland and they do actually have some additional offerings that aren't available out at the Disneyland version. But uh, get out there as quickly as you can and see if you can grab a reservation for that. Um, that will pretty much guarantee you that you get a boarding group to get into that land. The other thing I should probably mention about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and this has not been officially announced, but uh, there are people 
who have uh, been able to kind of get into the code behind the Play Disney app, uh, not the Play Disney app, sorry, the My Disney Experience app for Walt Disney World, and they do have the code in there uh, for reserving boarding groups. Uh, so it does look like they're uh, kind of of the mindset of Walt Disney World that they're going to take that boarding group approach that has been successful out of Disneyland and implement that. So, um, you know, getting a reserved slot within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge for an Oga's Cantina or a Savi's Workshop is going to be your best way to guarantee that you do get one of those boarding groups and you can access the land. Yeah, and that's something you can know in advance. So you can know when you're, if you're out there for a week, you know, five days, whatever the case may be be whatever your visit to Walt Disney World is uh, by having that reservation you will know you can plan your day around okay we're this is the day we're going to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge so jump on it when you get the opportunity I'm sure they're going to go quickly so you need to be just like some of the uh, the the uh, advanced dining reservations for some of the more popular restaurants you're going to want to jump on that you, the first day you have availability to do so because uh, you know and again it doesn't mean you can't get in if you don't get one but it really will make things a lot easier and make your planning a lot easier. Yeah, and certainly anything you can do to to reduce the likelihood that you may end up getting kind of the short end of the stick uh, when you're planning a Walt Disney World vacation and that you have guaranteed that you're going to have that access is uh, definitely going to help your, your planning go smoother and you're going to enjoy your vacation quite a bit more. So um, the only other thing I do want to mention is, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, please mention us to a friend. If you are interested in letting us know what your theory is on Ray and her parentage, we'd love to hear it. Um, you can shoot us an email at jtapodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media either on facebook twitter instagram or pinterest and twitter is probably the best place to do that at jta podcast uh, so we would love to hear from you uh, please give us a review tell a friend uh, we're really trying to to grow our community and get a lot more participation in terms of what types of topics we cover on the show. And uh, Tom, if you'd be willing to give your contact information so the folks that are both Star Wars and Disney fans can find you guys. Sure. Thanks, Robin. It's always a, a pleasure, again, being on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Uh, our podcast is the Hyperion Adventures podcast. I do that with my wife. Uh, we do talk Star Wars a lot. We also talk about Marvel. We talk a lot about Disney, especially talking about tips for for the parks, uh, if you're going to the Walt Disney World Resort, if you're going to the Disneyland Resort, sometimes even Disney Cruise or some of the even uh, like Disneyland Paris, some of the other uh, foreign Disney parks, we talk a little bit about that as well. And a matter of fact, we also, and going back to the Star Wars, we do have our Star Wars Remembered series going on where each month we are breaking down a different Star Wars film as we lead up to the rise of Skywalker. Most recently, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we did Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And coming up here in just two weeks, uh, we're actually less than two weeks now, we're going to be doing uh, breaking into the original trilogy and doing episode four, and of course, A New Hope, and where Rob always joins us for those episodes, and we have a great time with him. Uh, and you can find us uh, pretty much everywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on iHeartMedia. Best place to find us, however, is our website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And please follow us on social media. We have a lot of fun out on social media, including with Rob. Uh, we are, you can find us there on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Terrific. Again, please reach out to us. Let us know what you want to hear about. Uh, and if you want to have any conversations about anything Star Wars related, we are always in the mood for that. So thanks again for listening. Listening. Uh, you guys have a great week and uh, may the force be with you. 